This Scientific American podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, your source for audiobooks and more. Audible.com features 100,000 titles, including Walter Isaacson's biography, Albert Einstein, His Life and Universe, narrated by Edward Herman, and Stephen Hawking's The Theory of Everything, narrated by Michael York. Right now, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook and a one-month trial membership to the Scientific American audience. For details, go to audible.com slash Siam, S-C-I-A-M. Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, posted on April 29th, 2013. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... You can never have enough time looking out the window. I think everybody becomes a student of geography just when you're over your home planet. That's Michael Barrett. As you probably guessed, he's an astronaut. In 2009, he spent 199 days on the International Space Station. He spent two more weeks in space in 2011 on the final mission of the Space Shuttle Discovery. Barrett is an MD and a pilot. He's board certified in internal medicine and in aerospace medicine. On February 17th in Boston, Barrett took part in the Family Science Days event at the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the AAAS. He took questions from the young kids in the audience, after which I spoke to him. I missed recording the first question, which was about sleeping in space, so you'll hear him in mid-answer, right after describing how you're harnessed in for your sleep shift so you don't sleep float into the other crew members. You'll also hear the voice of Bob Hershon of the AAAS, the MC for the event. You just float and you sleep. And uh, what's really funny is when uh, people kind of get tired in the afternoon, just like they do down here, if they eat a big meal and, and they're, they're trying to work, and uh, you don't nod off because there's no gravity pulling your head down, uh, but every once in a while you'll just notice that you've been working with someone and they haven't said anything for five minutes, and you look over there and they're just kind of asleep and float through the module. Uh, so you, you sleep very well. All right, put up your hand and I'll get to you. Oops, let's try right here. What did you... Um, I think her question was, did you become a doctor first or an astronaut first? Ah, well, definitively, yeah. <laughs> I became a, a doctor first. But like everybody else in the astronaut office, we have geologists who study rocks. Uh, we've got meteorologists, we've got a lot of physicists and engineers and a few medical doctors, and all of us were that before we went into the astronaut office. It's a good question. All right, question, question. Um, how did you eat? How did we eat? Well, you eat really well. Uh, you got different kinds of food. You got freeze-dried food that you put hot water into and you squeeze it around a little bit, and five minutes later it becomes, uh, it, it can become anything from grits and butter to beefsteak. Then you have foil pack stuff that you just heat and eat, and then you have stuff in cans like the Russians have. You just heat that stuff, and it smells like grandma's cooking afterwards. So, And then uh, all the things that you drink have to come out of a drink bag with a straw because you can't pour any liquid, and you can't have a glass because it'll just go all over the place. Uh, so everything is like a sunny delight, so to speak. So whether it's coffee, tea, milk, comes in a bag. Well, I'm going to go back here. I can come back. Why did they decide to stop flying the Discovery? Well, we decided to stop flying all the shuttles for a couple of reasons. They were well past their, their design lifetime in years, and we wanted to build a new spaceship. Now, the problem is it's easy for NASA to say, yeah, we need to build a new spaceship, but they're, they're very expensive programs. And uh, what we have is what we didn't want is kind of a delay between the old spaceship, the space shuttle, and the new ones that are coming online. So pretty soon, within a few years, we'll have a new one. 
but it was really time to stop flying the shuttles. And one of the biggest things that the shuttles were meant to do was to build the International Space Station. And that was done. The station is huge and magnificent. And uh, with that, I think we can look at the shuttles and say, job well done. All right. right. Question right here. How did they go to the bathroom? Oh, How do we questions. go to the bathroom? Good. Okay. So it's, it's actually pretty easy. So uh, you don't have any gravity. So if you got to go number one, you, you rely on airflow. So you, you go into a, a hose with a fan sucking air that way. You still got to be a good shot. But uh, you still depend on the air to move things along. And uh, it's worth noting that when you pee on the space station, most likely you're going to be drinking that in your Kool-Aid in about a week and a half because we recycle about 70-something percent of the water. And that's a good thing. I mean, I, I see these looks, but it's nice to know where your next drink is coming from when you're in space. And uh, to do number two, same thing. You know, uh, target practice is important, um, but it's just airflow that pulls it all down into a little place and keeps it well contained, and it's, it's not hard at all. In fact, it's easy. How do you have light? How do we have night? Light. Oh, light. Okay. Well, those are, those are related questions. So um, we have electric lights, and uh, we have great big solar panels. We have over an acre of solar panels that generate electricity for us, and then we just switch on electric lights. Now, if you're on the sunlit side of the Earth, you can just open a window, but the, the sun just blasts in there like crazy, and it moves quite a bit. So the shadow moves quite a bit. So we just depend on the electric lights. Now, uh, what I thought you asked was how do you have night? Uh, and to get night, you just turn off the light, and uh, you make it uh, you make it dark, and that's what we call nighttime. Because we go around the Earth 16 times a day, we get 16 sunrises, 16 sunsets every day. So we really just use lights to make us nighttime for for uh, sleeping and daytime for working. Is everyone right here? What happens if someone <laughs> the line goes off? If the alarm goes off? No, like if, oh, if the light goes off? No, no. When you're at the at the when you're at the station. And you know how the astronauts are being held together by some kind of like line or pipe? Oh. Like what if that snaps? Okay, so if you're out on a spacewalk and uh, you, you're very careful about keeping yourself attached, and we always have two ways to attach ourselves to the space station. If you come totally free, if you are in the U.S. spacesuit, you've got a little jet pack back there. So you just you pull a little control, a joystick in front of you, and you can actually fly yourself back to the station. We've never had to do that. Uh, but, but believe me, having done a couple of spacewalks, uh, that, that is on your mind. You don't want to become a satellite. And right here. After you. How do you build satellites in space? How do you build satellites in space? We Actually, we don't build satellites in space. That doesn't mean that we couldn't someday. But right now, we build them in factories on the ground, and we launch them in, uh, into space. And we have actually launched a few really tiny satellites from the space station. But eventually, when we're living on the moon or we're living on Mars, we'd like to be able to launch our own satellites and build them from there. So we'll have to take the like little factories with us so we can put those up. Good question. So we just have time for one more question from here. How do you get all the badges? <laughs> How do you get all the badges? Well, believe me, you have to work really hard for them. Uh, so uh, this one, because I've been up for over 100 days. Actually, I should get two of these. Um, this was for my uh, Expedition 19 uh, mission on station. It was designed by a student, uh, a young Vietnamese girl who's a very talented artist. This one I got for launching on the Soyuz. This was also designed by a student, a 12-year-old Russian girl, very talented. This one for flying STS-133, and this one for being an American, and this is my identity. I mean, they all have meanings. <laughs> so, All right, thanks, guys. All right, let's hear it for Dr. Michael Barrett, NASA astronaut. 
After Barrett spent some time with the kids and their equally curious parents, I spent a few minutes with him following up on the nuts and bolts of life in space. What do little kids ask that adults don't ask that surprises you and that gives you an opportunity to talk about something important? Well, it's a good question. It doesn't surprise me anymore. Um, adults are always asking high-level questions. Why are we doing this? What are you discovering? Almost wondering, where are my tax dollars going and why is this worthwhile for us to do? The children see people living in space and they want to know what it's like to live in space. And they try, they try to translate uh, life on Earth to life in space. So that's why you hear, how do you go to the bathroom? How do you wash yourself? How do you brush your teeth? How do you eat? What's your food like? I mean, they want to experience it on their level, which is unfettered by thoughts of politics and budgets. So, I mean, that's what's so wonderful. You look like you get a kick out of talking to the little kids about that stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because for me, it's the, the, the pleasure is on the same level. I like to think about my time uh, living in space and, and the joys of being up there are not the, the concerns of the adults, the, the budgets, the funding, all that kind of stuff. It's just the day-to-day living up there and, and seeing new things for the first time. And that's what kids are all about. When you're up there, does it ever get old or are you constantly amazed whenever you look out the window? Well, it, it absolutely never gets old and you can never have enough time looking out the window. I think everybody becomes a student of geography just when you're over your home planet and you're looking for sites familiar, but then you also see just how amazing the planet is and how diverse it is. Uh, any free time we get, we try to look out the window. Then you discover that you can uh, look out the window on the dark side, so you see city lights and lightnings, and then you discover uh, that you can get your eyes adapted and, and just look out into the, the uh, into space. Uh, you can see the colors in the Milky Way with the unaided eye if you're really dark adapted. Uh, that's quite amazing as well. You'll never get tired of that. But space is still new enough that we're discovering new things. Every mission we discover something new, and I think probably astronauts are happiest when they're discovering new things. There's you, enough new things to discover. So, <laughs> Are you done, or do you hope to get back up there when uh, whenever we get a new uh, vehicle ready? Well, I hope to fly one more time and not so much waiting for the new vehicle, just to do another rotation on the space station, sure. And I, I flew with the Russians the first flight. They're great partners to fly with, and I have no reservations whatsoever. So I'd be more than happy to fly the Soyuz one more time. And the longest you ever stayed up was how long again? 199 days, my first flight. So as you, you said, there's, there's no shower up there. Right. So you're doing sponge baths. Right. So let me ask a little kid question. When you get, when you get back down, What's that first shower like? Well, it's uh, it's something that everybody really wants just to get that first shower. But uh, there's there's a couple of reasons for it. You know, one you're you're pretty gnarly after you've uh, been in that entry suit and it's hot and you're sweaty and and you get down. You're usually a bit heat stressed and you're not feeling good. It just feels good to get clean. Um, but it's almost novel to have water hitting your body and running off of it because you haven't been used to it for so long. So showers always feel good. But the first shower after being in space for six months, it's also kind of a, um, a readaptation to Earth. You're seeing free water that's not just floating there. It's actually falling. And it feels good. How long did you stay in? Uh, not very long because that first shower, you also uh, you don't want to stay in it too long because warm water causes your veins to dilate. And because you're a little bit challenged with blood pressure, yeah, we, we try not to uh, stay in that too long. Or if we do, we try to be sitting down during it. But it did feel very good. Because you're afraid you might actually pass out. Exactly, exactly. So really fast. 
Right. We're always wary of that. And how long does it take you to, to really feel like you have your earth legs again? Well, you can be up walking and, and feel pretty strong within the first day, especially now. We, we exercise two hours a day on station, two and a half hours a day, a lot of resistive exercise. So we're returning people really strong and really fit. What takes a while is your sense of balance. So uh, you might have some trouble cornering, especially uh, in the first couple of days when you try to turn a corner, you, you tend to fall to the outside. Or if you try to lean forward to tie your shoes, for instance, you might face plant because you're not used to that challenge uh, of positional differences. Um, and, and it can take a few weeks for all of that to totally resolve and not have any flashbacks about being in zero gravity. But typically 30 days, we certify people to drive and to fly aircraft again if everything looks good. We'll be back right after this word from Kerry Smith at The Nature Podcast. On this week's Nature Podcast, the researcher who went undercover at gun shows, how to tell if a system is quantum or classical, and studying the air by looking at the earth. Listen to the show at nature.com slash nature slash podcast. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, where you can check out Julie Hecht's blog item, Are Dogs Funnier Than Cats? That's in the Dog Spies blog in our blog network. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. Or if you get the dog.